Jonah chapter 3. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them feed Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Let's pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I'm guessing that the first thing that Jonah had to do was to get a bath. Because the last time we saw Jonah, he had just been vomited out onto the dry land after spending three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. And so he had to clean himself up. But if you haven't been here, how in the world did Jonah get to the belly of a fish? Well, if you go back to chapter 1, we found that he was fleeing from the Lord because God had called on him to do something that was new and surprising and unpleasant. And he would rather run away from the presence of the Lord than do what God had told him to do. And so he attempted to do that, but he found that he could not run away from the presence of the Lord. Uh, But God intercepted him with a great storm on the sea. He was thrown into the sea. He was swallowed by the great fish. Spent three days and three nights there. And we saw last week that he was praying during those three days and three nights. We saw his prayer last week where he discovered a few things about God. And one of the things he discovered about God is that God could reach him even from the jaws of death and that God could rescue him, and that it was all God's initiative, that it was all God's doing. It wasn't he rescuing himself, it was God rescuing him. And then it says, the last verse of chapter 2, and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Now we don't know how much time passed between Jonah getting spit out, and what we find here in chapter 3, but at some point after Jonah was rescued from death, Something very, very surprising happened to him. And that was this. God called him again. And if you were here for chapter 1, or you can just look back at chapter 1, verse 2, the word of the Lord, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And if you look at chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, it says almost exactly the same thing. 
Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. The call is almost exactly the same. Except, in the first one he said, the reason is, because they're evil, or perhaps they're distressed, it's come up again uh, before me, that's why I'm sending you there. The second time he says, I'm sending you there, and I want you to say exactly what I tell you to say. Do you remember in, in Jonah, there are two directions basically, going up and going down? God told Jonah to do what? Go up. And Jonah went down, 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 down. And now he comes to him again and says what? Arise. Go up. And it says, Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Now, um, Jonah recognized in chapter 1 that he deserved the death penalty. He, he realized he was worthy of the death penalty. And then he realized in chapter 2 that God had stayed that execution and he had not given him the death penalty as he deserved. Perhaps uh, more amazingly, when we get to chapter 3, we find uh, that God not only saved him from death, but called him again. He called him again. This same prophet who had tried to flee from his presence, tried to do anything he could to get away from God, that God called him again to serve him. And it's clear from chapter 3 that you might think chapter 2 could have been a good end to the book, right? Chapter 2, Jonah learns his lesson. He realizes the salvation is of the Lord. He's saved from death. And it could have been that the, the book ended right there. And it would have been a nice conclusion to the book. Salvation is of the Lord. And we would have been happy that Jonah made it through his travail and discovered that God saves his people. But... It's a surprise when we get to chapter 3 because what we see is that God is not done with Jonah and God is not done with the Ninevites. That He hasn't given up on Jonah and He hasn't given up on the Ninevites. And these two things should be of great encouragement to us because we may get to the point sometimes when we think, I've really blown it this time. And I think I've really gone beyond the pale of any sort of ability to be useful to the Lord. I think I've blown it so badly this time that I'm really washed up. That I don't think I can ever recover from this sort of thing. And this should be a great encouragement to us. Because we look at the gravity of Jonah's sin, we look at the gravity of how the Ninevites were. They were a cruel, rapacious people, warlike people. And God is not giving up on either of them, either Jonah or the Ninevites, or, let us say, or on us. So take courage from the second call to Jonah. Well, how did Jonah respond this time? This time it says, Jonah arose, and what did he do? Verse 3, he went to Nineveh. This time he did what God had told him to do. And then it says that Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in Breath. And the, the author emphasized that, that Nineveh was a great city, but it's a little difficult to understand his description of, uh, of Nineveh, because literally what it says is this. Nineveh was a great city to God, a journey of three days. Now, this translation is uh, taking that to mean a great city before God, that means exceedingly great. If it's even great before God, that's a great city. If even God notices it, that's a great city. But you also could translate it just literally that a great city to God, an important city to God. 
that God is concerned about even Nineveh. And then it says uh, three days journey in breadth. That could be three days diameter, three days to get around it, or a city that deserves three days visit. We don't really know, but whatever it might be, whatever this description is, it was a big city, an important city of that time. And it's what in, in modern day Iraq along the Tigris River. Now, um, it was a three days journey, but how many days did Jonah preach? He got to preach only one day. In verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out. So he got to preach only one day. It looks like he was planning on preaching several days, but his ministry got interrupted by surprising events. So he began to preach, and this was his message. We don't know if this is the only thing he said, but this is the summary of his message. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, do you remember that in this second call, God had said, say exactly what I tell you to say. And so we assume, Jonah's being obedient here, we assume that this is exactly what God told him to say. And what's the message? Forty days, and you all are gone. The city will be overthrown. Is that a uh, an encouraging message? No. Is there any hope in that message? Is there any possibility of anything else happening in that message? No. He's simply saying, 40 days and you will be overthrown. That was the message. But if we think about it a little bit, we can ask some questions about it. Why did God bother to send somebody in the first place? If He was going to overthrow the city within 40 days, why bother telling them about it? Why not just do it? That's a little suspicious, isn't it? Sending somebody simply to say, you're going to be overthrown. And another question, why the delay? Why 40 days? Why, if you're you're going to overthrow a city, if you're going to destroy a city, and God did that some in the Old Testament, we see that, why give 40 days notice to do that? What's the point of that? What's the point of sending somebody in the first place? Or what's the point of giving that delay? What might be going on here? Well, maybe, maybe, even though the message doesn't mention it, maybe, perhaps, there is a ray of hope for the Ninevites. And, indeed, as it turns out, there was a ray of hope. And here we see in this ray of hope something that, this was a surprising aspect of, of this whole book, that God was really concerned about the nations and even nations like like Assyria, even nations like uh, capital cities like Nineveh. That's not very prominent throughout the Old Testament, but it comes to the fore in the New Testament that in fact God is so concerned about the nations that His, His main plan for the nations is to redeem them. His main plan for the nations is to buy them back, to rescue them. His main plan for the nations is not to overthrow the nations. And we have been praying for the nations today, reflecting on the nations and their need for God's intervention in their lives. And and I hope uh, that one day our church will be sending with our money, our sons and our daughters to the mission field. That's when we will know that we have really matured as a church. When we are taking our dearest, our, our, our own, 
possessions and our own people and sending them to these nations for whom we have been praying today. That's when we'll know. But you know what? In the meantime, until we're ready for that, do you know what God has done for us? He has sent the nations to us. I'm out and about a lot and I I talk to people and of the ones whose names I've written down in order to be praying for them, I have gotten to talk to people from 15 different nations. 15 different nations. And I'm sure there are many, many more nations represented and I think there's some that I didn't write down. But just of the ones I've I've written down and with whom I've gotten to talk and, and for whom I'm praying, 15 different nations. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that that God has given us the opportunity without even going anywhere to be able to talk with people from all these different nations? Let's see how this one nation responded. Um, In verses 5 to 10, we have the Ninevites' response. And amazingly, this this is shocking. Jonah preached, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And it says in verse 5 that the people of Nineveh, what did they do? They believed God. What? The people of Nineveh, this foreign prophet shows up and all he does is denounce them. Can you imagine? You've seen street preachers before, haven't you? That are, that are shouting and screaming about God's impending judgment. Have you ever seen them? Do people take them into account? Do people fall down and say, I'm so glad you came? Generally, they're, they're shouting into the air and, and people are walking by and ignoring them. And that's sort of the scene here. Here's a foreign street preacher who just shows up and says, doom is near. Your end is near. And it says, amazingly, the Ninevites believed Him. They believed God. And they called for a fast. They put on sackcloth. Sackcloth was generally made of goat's hair, like a burlap sack. They put on very uncomfortable clothing. They called for a fast. They, They didn't eat. And this is from the greatest of them to the least of them. And then it got actually to the greatest of them. In verse 6 it says, The word reached the king of Nineveh. That something was going on in the city. And then it says, What did did the king of Nineveh do? What's the verb? He arose. There's that verb again. He arose from his throne, but then he arose to abase himself, to humble himself. He took off his robe, covered himself. We're talking about the king. Covered himself with burlap, with sackcloth. And he sat in ashes. And then he upped the ante here. Uh, he, he said, yes, not only is there going to be a fast, but I'm going to, to make it even more stringent. He said, not only there, will there be a fast of, of humans, but there will also be a fast of animals. So not only will humans not eat, but animals won't eat anything. And not only will we not eat, but we also will not do what? Drink water. And you can't do that for very long. So he's really saying, no, we're serious about this. And so everybody, he says, should cover themselves in sackcloth and then call out to God. And then he says, in addition, let them turn from his evil way, from the violence that is in his hands. So he's calling them to turn, calling them to repent of their evil deeds. And then what's his, what's his reasoning? Look at verse nine. What's his logic? What's he say? Who knows? Who knows? Maybe Jonah didn't mention the possibility. Jonah didn't say anything about the possibility of not being destroyed, but who knows? And so the king looks like he perceived in the fact that Jonah was there in the first place, and in the delay, 
in sending the judgment, it looks like he perceived that there was a possibility that it might not happen. He says, I don't know, but it's worth a try. Who knows? Let's try. And he called them to repent of their sins. Now, this is remarkable. Knowing how the people of Nineveh were, that they would believe God and then put their faith in the practice immediately by giving up their sins and their evil deeds. It, it seems to me, now I know that I just got back to the United States uh, last year, having been away from the United States for a long time, and I'm still in some ways getting my, my bearings here, but I'm trying to learn about the culture in which we live, and I'm also trying to learn about the church culture, the Christians. And it seems to me, and you can correct me if, I've, if, I'm, if I'm mistaken on this, but it seems to me that, that forgiveness is alive and well in the Christian church. That we are preaching forgiveness for sinners, which is great. But it seems like repentance has fallen on hard times. That the call to turn from that which is against what God says and turn to Him that we might not only be forgiven, but also might be transformed, that is a message that I don't think I'm hearing very often. And, and there's a, been a, something of a shift, it seems like, in this idea of brokenness. What, I, what I'm hearing a lot is we're broken people. Now, we can all say amen to that, right? We know that we're broken people. And then the message goes on and says, and God loves us even in our brokenness. And we can also say amen to that. But somehow I'm not hearing the next step. God loves us in our brokenness so much that He wants to transform our brokenness and be fixing that brokenness so we are not as broken as we were before. We, we affirm that God loves sinners. We affirm that God's grace forgives us in Christ. But but only if we turn from sin to Christ and not remain in our sins. And here the Ninevites are actually a model, a model for us. Jesus mentioned this. We already looked at His comment about Jonah uh, in Matthew chapter 13 or 12 rather, Matthew 12, 38 to 41. It says, some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And we already looked at that in chapter 1 that the sign of Jonah is, the, is the, the Son of Man being crucified and being under the power of death for three days and three nights and then resurrecting. But he goes on. The sign of Jonah goes on. It says, The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. You see, the Ninevites will rise up and say, We had Jonah. We had Jonah who came, a foreign prophet. Jonah who was speaking uh, with a foreign accent. And all he did was pronounce judgment upon us. And we repented. And we turned from our evil ways. And then they will say to Jesus' generation, And you? And you? What did you have? You had, you had the Son of God in your midst and you didn't turn? And he says that the men of Nineveh will rise and condemn Jesus' generation. But I wonder what they'll say about our generation. What will they say about us? 
they had very little to go on. They had no hope offered to them. They had this uh, no chance offered to them, but, the, but they perceived an opening and they took it by turning to God from sin in faith. And God forgave them. And what will they say about us? What will they say about our generation? Perhaps the most amazing aspect of this story is not Jonah's response to God or the Ninevites' response to God and Jonah, but God's response to the Ninevites. This is shocking. When God saw what they did, verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He had said He would do to them, and He did not do it. This is the most shocking aspect of this message so far, that He didn't do what He said He was going to do. He said He was going to destroy them. Jonah said He was going to destroy them, and He didn't do it. There's a play on words here. It says, when they said, the king said, who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from His fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil, God relented of the disaster. Literally, it's God relented of the evil. So two different senses of the word evil. They turned from their evil deeds. So God turned from His evil plan, that is, evil in the sense of His disastrous plan, that He was going to bring upon them. Now, we might wonder how God can do that. Didn't He say He was going to bring disaster on them in 40 days? And then He didn't do that. Is is that a problem for God to say He's going to do something and not do it? Well, the Ninevites were not complaining. They were not saying, God, you said you were going to do this and you didn't. They weren't complaining. And actually, God was acting here exactly how He said He would act. In Jeremiah, another prophet, Jeremiah chapter 18, it's on page 721 if you want to look it up. 721, Jeremiah 18, verses 7 to 10. This is how God says He operates. He says, If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil... I will relent, these are the same words that we find in Jonah, I will relent of the evil or disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. So, let me ask you, did God do what He said He would do? Absolutely. He declared in Jeremiah that this is how he operates. If he declares disaster, but then there's repentance and faith, what does he do? He relents of that disaster. John says it this way, He didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the worlds, but that the world might be saved, rescued through Him. That's God's plan for the nations. That's God's plans for the ages. That's God's plan for us. And that's God's plan for our neighbors. If we compare Jonah's experience and the Ninevites' experience of repentance with Jesus' words about the sign of Jonah, we can understand why we're in a better position to repent than they are. What was their motivation to repent? It was all negative, right? It was the stick. There was no carrot offered. It was only a stick. You will be destroyed. And so they didn't want to be destroyed, and so they repented. It was all negative. It was all threat. But Jesus has now come. And so what's the motivation to turn to God? The motivation is that the Son of God has come. 
And that he has gone down like Jonah went down. That he has been buried like Jonah was buried in the heart of the earth. And he has risen from the dead, even as Jonah was rescued from the belly of the fish. And the message is God is merciful to sinners. God is gracious to sinners. God welcomes sinners who will turn from sin to Him in faith and in repentance. Paul says it this way in Romans. He says, don't despise God's kindness because it is God's kindness that leads you to repentance. The Ninevites didn't have much to go on, did they? They just had a threat. And even at that, they turned to God. What do we have? We have the kindness of God poured out for us in Jesus Christ. And therefore, let's turn from our sins to God in faith that we might be not only forgiven, but also transformed. Let's pray. Our God, in the day of judgment, we don't want the Ninevites to point an accusing finger at us and say, we repented at the preaching of Jonah and you had Jesus. What did you do? I pray, O God, that this glorious word would re-enter our Christian vocabulary. And not just that, but it would enter our lives that we would constantly be turning from our idols to You, the true God, that we would constantly be turning away from our sins to You, our Savior, that we would be forgiven for our sins through Jesus and that we would be transformed as people and changed through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, we know that You love us so much that You not only wipe clean the slate before You so that we can stand before You as righteous, but You also give us Your Spirit so that we might be different people. And we pray, O God, that we would be like those Ninevites who who believed You and then they acted upon their faith. We pray that our testimony would not be a conflictive testimony before the world, but that people could look at us and see, yes, broken people, People who are struggling and people who are downcast and people who have histories, yes, of course. But they would also see people who have been forgiven and who are being transformed day by day as we turn to You. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.